0: chapter 8 of the afghan wars 1839 to 42 and 1878 to 80 part 1 the first afghan war by archibald forbes this librivox recording is in the public domain 8 the siege and defence of Jalalabad. sales brigade retreating from Gundamukh, reached jellalabad on the twelfth november eighteen forty one an investigation into the state of the fortifications of that place showed them in their existing condition to be incapable of resisting a vigorous assault but it was resolved to occupy the place and to captain george broadfoot as garrison engineer was committed the duty of making it defensible this assuredly was no light task the ansante was far too extensive for the slender garrison and its tracing was radically bad the ramparts were so dilapidated that in places they were scarcely discernible and the ruins strewn over what should have been the glacis afforded near cover to assailants whose attitude was already so threatening as to hinder the beginning of repairing operations their fire swept the defences and their braves capered derisively to the strains of a bagpipe on the adjacent rocky elevation which thenceforth went by the name of piper's hill a sortie on the fifteenth cleared the environs of the troublesome afghans supplies began to come in and broadfoot was free to set his sappers to the task of repairing the fortifications in which work the entrenching tools he had wrenched from the Kabul stores proved invaluable how greatly sale had erred in shutting up his forces in jellalabad was promptly demonstrated the connecting posts of gundamukh and peshpolak had to be evacuated and thus from jomrood at the foot of the khyber up to Kabul. There remained no intermediate post in British possession, with the solitary exception of Jalalabad, and communications were entirely interrupted, except through the medium of furtive messengers. The Jalalabad garrison was left unmolested for nearly a fortnight, and the repairs were well advanced when, on the twenty-ninth, the Afghans came down, invested the place, and pushed their skirmishers close up to the walls on december first colonel denny headed a sortie which worsted the besiegers with considerable slaughter and drove them from the vicinity bad news came at intervals from Kabul, and at the new year arrived a melancholy letter from pottinger confirming the rumours already rife of the murder of the envoy and of the virtual capitulation to which the Kabul force had submitted a week later an official communication was received from kabul signed by general elphinstone and major pottinger formally announcing the convention which the kabul force had entered into with the chiefs and ordering the garrison of jellalabad forthwith to evacuate that post and retire to peshawar leaving behind with the new governor an afghan chief who was the bearer of the humiliating missive the fortress guns and such stores and baggage as there lacked transport to remove the council of war summoned by sale was unanimous in favour of non-compliance with this mandate broadfoot urged with vigour that an order by a superior who was no longer a free agent and who issued it under duress could impose no obligation of obedience Sale pronounced himself untrammelled by a convention forced from people with knives at their throats, and was resolute in the expression of his determination to hold Jalalabad unless ordered by the government to withdraw. More and more ominous tidings poured in from Kabul. A letter received on January tenth reported the Kabul force to be still in the cantonments living utterly at the mercy of the afghans another arriving on the twelfth told of the abandonment of the cantonments and the beginning of the march but that the forlorn wayfarers were lingering in detention at Bootkark, halted in their misery by the orders of akbar khan those communications in a measure prepared the people in jellalabad for disaster but not for the awful catastrophe of which dr brydon had to tell when in the afternoon of the thirteenth the lone man whose approach to the fortress lady butler's painting so pathetically depicts rode through the Kabul gate of jellalabad dr brydon was covered with cuts and contusions and was utterly exhausted his first few hasty sentences extinguished all hope in the hearts of the listeners regarding their Kabul comrades and friends there was naturally great excitement in jellalabad but no panic the working parties were called in the assembly was sounded the gates were closed the walls were lined and the batteries were manned for it was believed for the moment that the enemy were in full pursuit of fugitives following in brydon's track the situation impressed Broadfoot with the conviction that a crisis had come in the fortunes of the Jalalabad garrison. He thought it his duty to lay before the general the conditions of the critical moment which he believed to have arrived, pointing out to him that the imperative alternatives were that he should either firmly resolve on the defence of Jalalabad to the last extremity, or that he should make up his mind to a retreat that very night while as yet retreat was practicable sale decided on holding on to the place and immediately announced to the commander-in-chief his resolve to persevere in a determined defence relying on the promise of the earliest possible relief because of the defection of his Sikh auxiliaries and the faint-heartedness of his sepoys Wilde's efforts to cross the threshold of the Khyber had failed, and with the tidings of his failure there came to sale the information that the effort for his relief must be indefinitely postponed. It may be assumed that this intimation weakened in some degree the general's expressed resolution to hold Jalalabad with determination, and it is not to be denied that this resolution was, in a measure, conditional on the not unwarranted expectation of early relief neither he nor his adviser macgregor appears to have realized how incumbent on the garrison of jellalabad it was to hold out to the last extremity irrespective of consequences to itself unless it should receive a peremptory recall from higher authority or to have recognized the glorious opportunity presented of inspiriting by its staunch constancy and high-souled self-abnegation a weak government staggering under a burden of calamity than sail no braver soldier ever wore sword but a man may delight to head a forlorn hope and yet lack nerve to carry with high heart a load of responsibility nor was macgregor so constituted as to animate his chief and noble emprise fast on the heels of the gloomy tidings from the khyber mouth there came to them from shah Soojah, who was still the nominal sovereign at Kabul, a curt peremptory letter obviously written under compulsion of which the following were the terms Quote, your people have concluded a treaty with us you are still in jellalabad what are your intentions? Tell us quickly. Sale summoned a council of war, which assembled at his quarters on January twenty seventh. Its proceedings were recorded, and the documents laid before it were preserved by Captain Henry Havelock in his capacity as Sale's staff officer. Record and papers were reclaimed from Havelock's custody by General Sale before the evacuation of Afghanistan, and had been long lost to sight. They have recently been deposited among the records of the India office, but not before their latest non-official possessor had published some extracts from them. It is to be hoped that the more important documents may be given to the public in full, since passages from documents, whether intentionally or not, may be so extracted as to be misleading. Broadfoot, who had been a member of the Council of War, and who was apparently aware of the suppression of the official records, wrote in 1843 a detailed narrative of its proceedings while his recollection of them was still fresh, and this narrative he sent to Havelock, desiring him to note, quote, any points erroneously stated distinguishing between what you may merely not remember and what you know i am mistaken in havelock who was a loyal and ardent admirer of general sale having sparsely annotated broadfoot's narrative returned it with the statement that he had compared it with the memoranda still in his possession and that he considered it contributes a fair and correct statement of that which occurred unquote. the officers comprising the council to whom sale and macgregor addressed themselves were colonel denny of the thirteenth colonel monteith of the thirty-fifth n i captains backhouse and Abbott of the artillery captain oldfield commanding the cavalry and captain broadfoot the garrison engineer the following is a summary of the proceedings as recorded by broadfoot and authenticated by havelock after a few formal words from general sale he called on macgregor to submit a matter on which that political officer and himself were agreed macgregor then described the situation from the point of view of sale and himself and expressed their united conviction that nothing was to be hoped for from the government reserving his own liberty of action he sought the opinion of the officers on offers received from akbar khan to treat for the evacuation of afghanistan and he laid before them a draft answer to Shah Soojah's curt letter professing the readiness of the garrison to evacuate jellalabad on his requisition since it was held only for him but naming certain conditions the exchange of hostages the restoration of British prisoners and hostages in exchange for the Afghan hostages on arrival of the force at Peshawar. Escort thither in safety and honour, with arms, colours and guns, and adequate assistance of supplies and transport. Both Sale and MacGregor frankly owned that they were resolved to yield and negotiate for safe retreat great excitement from the first had pervaded the assemblage, and when MacGregor had finished his statement Broadfoot arose in his wrath. He declined to believe that the government had abandoned the Jellalabad garrison to its fate, and there was a general outburst of indignation when Sale produced a letter carrying that significance. Broadfoot waxed so warm in his remonstrances against the proposed action that an adjournment was agreed to next day sale and macgregor urged that it was impossible to hold out much longer that later retreat would be impracticable and that the scheme they proposed was safe and honourable broadfoot denounced it as disgraceful contended that they could hold jellalabad indefinitely could colonise if they liked and retreat at discretion he denied that the place was held for shah soojah and challenged their right to surrender the post unless by government order hostages he proclaimed worthless while the afghans held heavier pledges of ours in the shape of prisoners and hostages he denounced as disgraceful the giving of hostages on our part Monteith's remark that nobody would go as a hostage roused Oldfield to express himself tersely but pointedly on the subject. Quote, I, for one, he exclaimed in great agitation, will fight here to the last drop of my blood, but I plainly declare that I will never be a hostage, and I am surprised that anyone should propose such a thing or regard an Afghan's word as worth anything. Unquote. The resolution to treat for the abandonment of Jalalabad was carried, Oldfield only voting with Broadfoot against it, but the stipulations regarding hostages were omitted. Broadfoot continued to press modifications of the conditions set out in the proposed reply, pleading, but in vain, that the restoration of the prisoners in Afghan hands before departure of the garrison should be insisted on, and that since evacuation was resolved on it should at least be conducted as a military operation and not degradingly under escort then and little wonder he objected to expressions in the draught letter as too abject and he was successful in procuring the alteration of them the letter was written out signed by macgregor and despatched to Kabul it was agreed that those members of the council who chose to do should record in writing the reasons for their votes and this was done by denny monteith abbot and broadfoot broadfoot pending an answer from kabul set the garrison to work in digging a ditch round the fortifications the reply from the shah to the effect if you are sincere in offers let all the chief gentlemen affix their seals unquote, was laid before the reassembled council on february twelfth the employed imputation on the good faith of british officers might well have stung to indignation the meekest but the council's opinion was taken as to the expediency of complying with the derogatory request made by the shah as well as of a stipulation a modification of what broadfoot had originally urged in vain for the surrender of all prisoners hostages sick and wounded under detention in afghanistan on the arrival at peshawar of the Jalalabad brigade the members of council who in the long interval since the previous meeting had been gradually regaining their self-respect and mental equipoise Unanimously declined to accept the proposals tendered them by their commanding officer and his political ally, and a letter written by Monteith was accepted which quote, was not a continuation of the negotiation. Unquote. Thus ended the deliberations of the memorable Council of War, whose eleventh hour resolve to hold the fort mainly averted the ruin of British prestige in India and throughout the regions bordering on our eastern empire and the credit of its final decision to repudiate the humiliating proposals of Salem MacGregor belongs to george broadfoot who was firmly though silently backed by havelock the day after that decision was formulated a letter came from peshawar informing the garrison that every effort would be made for its relief and thenceforth there was no more talk of surrender nor was the courage of the little brigade impaired even when the earthquake of february nineteenth shook the newly repaired fortifications into wreck broadfoot's vehement energy infected the troops and by the end of the month the parapets were entirely restored the bastions repaired and every battery re-established after the council of war had rejected the proposals laid before it a decision which in effect involved the maintenance of the defence to the last extremity nearly two months passed without the occurrence of any important event except the speedily retrieved misfortune of the earthquake of february nineteenth the close investment of the place by akbar khan thwarted the efforts of the foraging parties to obtain much needed supplies those efforts were not vigorous for sale aware of his garrison's poverty of ammunition was bent on a passive defence and steadily refused his consent to vigorous sorties the policy may have had its abstract merits but it was certainly unsatisfactory in this respect the perseverance in it involved the unpleasantness of apparently inevitable starvation general pollock had arrived in peshawar and was making energetic efforts to get his force in order for the accomplishment of the relief of jellalabad but he foresaw serious delays and so late as the middle of march was still unable to specify with any definiteness the probable date of his arrival at that place the european troops in jellalabad would be out of meat rations early in april and havelock's calculation was that the grain on which mainly subsisted the native soldiers, who had been on half rations since the New Year, would be exhausted before the middle of that month. Sale modified his policy of inactivity when he learned that the blockading Afghans were attempting to drive a mine under a salient of the defences, and Denny, on March 11th, led out a sally, destroying the works and thrust back Akbar's encroachments. The general lack of vigour, however, on the garrison's part, emboldened the Afghans so much that they actually grazed their flocks of sheep within 600 yards of the walls. This was too impudent, and the general consented to a raid which resulted in the acquisition of some 500 sheep, an invaluable addition to the commissariat resources. It is worth recording that the native regiment gave up its share of the sheep to the soldiers of the thirteenth on the ground that europeans needed animal food more than did natives of india on april sixth the afghan leader fired a salute in triumph for a suppositious repulse of pollock in the khyber in regard to what then happened there is a strange conflict of testimony general sale in a private letter written six weeks later states I made my arrangements with MacGregor to sally the next day, provided we did not hear that Pollock had forced the pass." Akbar's salutes and the information of spies that Pollock had fallen back, made us look very grave, our case desperate, our provisions nearly out and no relief at hand. I therefore decided to play a bold stroke to relieve ourselves. And give courage to Pollock's force in case of success. If we failed in thrashing Akbar, we would have left our bones on the field. Unquote. Abbott's diary of April 5th and 6th records that spies reported that Pollock had been repulsed at Ali Mujid and that the heads of three of his officers had been sent into Akbar, whereupon, quote, all the commanding officers waited on the general beseeching him to attack akbar instantly the thirteenth and the battery got all ready for work but the old general was obstinate and refused to act backhouse's diary april sixth mentions that pollock having been reported repulsed and akbar having fired a salute the officers commanding corps and detachments went in a body and proposed to the general to attack akbar instantly but without success Quote, immediately the matter was broached the general set his face against anything of the kind and disagreed about every point insisted that the enemy had five thousand or six thousand men in camp and were too strong for us and then the next minute that it was no use going out as we couldn't punish them as they wouldn't stand, and concluding, with usual excuse for inactivity, it isn't our game. Words ran precious high. Whether spontaneously or under pressure, General Sale must have ordered a sortie in force, for at dawn of the 7th, three infantry columns marched out by the Kabul gate, the right commanded by Havelock, the centre by Denny, the left by monteith general sale being in command of the whole force akbar reputed about five thousand strong was in formation in front of his camp about three miles west of jellalabad his left flank resting on the river with an advanced post of three hundred men in the patched-up fort about midway between his camp and jellalabad The prescribed tactics were to march straight on the enemy, with which Monteith and Havelock complied. But Denny, whether with or without orders is a matter in dispute, diverged to assail the patched-up fort. The outer defences were carried, gallant old Denny riding at the head of his men to receive his death-wound. In vain did the guns for which Sale had sent batter at the inner keep and the general, abandoning the attempt to reduce it, led on, in person, the centre column. Meanwhile, Havelock and Monteith had been moving steadily forward until halted by orders when considerably advanced. Havelock had to form square once and again against the Afghan horsemen, who, however, did not dare to charge home. The artillery came to the front at the gallop, And poured shot and shell into Akbar's mass. The three columns, now abreast of each other, deployed into line and moving forward at the double in the teeth of the Afghan musketry fire, swept the enemy clean out of his position, capturing his artillery, firing his camp, and putting him to utter rout. Akbar, by seven o'clock in the April morning, had been signally beaten in the open field by the troops he had boasted of blockading in the fortress. The garrison of Jellalabad had thus wrought out its own relief, thenceforth it experienced neither annoyance nor scarcity. Pollock arrived a fortnight after the dashing sally which had given the garrison deliverance, and the head of his column was played into its camp on the Jellalabad plain by the Band of the Thirteenth, to the significant tune, Oh, but you've been long a comin'. The magniloquent Ellenborough dubbed Sales Brigade the illustrious garrison, and if the expression is overstrained, its conduct was without question eminently credible. End of chapter eight.